Welcome to the Daily Fantasy Fringe Podcast. Iguana Headman, who are you? my cold reading of news of the weird no prep whatsoever we never do any prep on the show probably could be a better show if it did some prep but then it would you lose what it is it is a cold reading of stats going into your early morning research and most of the moments at the beginning and the moments at the end are unscripted and just see where they go um, well it is what it is but it, Speaking of weird stories, I saw again the guy who wears a iguana on his head. It just it just sits on his head, and the tail wraps down. And every time I see that tail wrapping down, I think the guy's just got this really long ponytail, Tony tail type thing. But it's not. It's the iguana's tail that goes all the way down to the back of his back. You know, um, I don't know what the story is with the guy. I'm too afraid to approach him. I'm I'm afraid I'm going to go to him one day and say, "Hey, dude, what's with the iguana on your head?" And he's going to look at me like. What iguana? <laughs> it's going to be one of those situations. What iguana? Or he'll freak out and not realize there's iguana on his head, or who knows what it'll be. Uh, and there's also a guy also in town that has a pair on the shoulder. So there's an iguana on the head guy and a pair on the shoulder guy that only hangs out at the rum bar. It's true, true story. It's not a pirate bar. It's a rum bar, which would be pretty close to it being a pirate bar. It is beach theme, not quite pirate theme, but yet he is always outside. I, don't, I cannot remember if he wears a Hawaiian shirt or not. I don't think that he goes that far. But he does go far enough that he has a parrot on his shoulder. So there's a guana guy, parrot on the shoulder guy. Um, there's a couple other weird dudes that you see occasionally, but uh, those are the animal dudes at the moment. I'll let you know if there's another guy like that. Anyway, let's jump into some news of the weird. It's cold, so I might read some that aren't that crazy or aren't that interesting. They aren't prepped. I probably could go through and pick out, mm, well, this one's better, so let's read this one. But then, like I said, it would lose its spontaneity. So the first one, which is highlighted here in today's edition of the News of the Weird. A 28-year-old woman, unnamed in the news report, veered off the road and into a house in the Florida panhandle town of Mary Esther on July 7th. Of course, it happens in Florida. Most of these stories, if you're not paying attention, happen in Florida you want nothing to do with Florida. Don't move to Florida. If you live in Florida, get out of Florida. If you know someone from Florida, don't hang out with that person anymore. Florida is a cesspool. She apparently was free of drug or alcohol influence, but readily explained to the police that she must have gone through a stop sign and left the road when she closed her eyes to pray as she drove. <laughs> the house was damaged, but no one was injured, thank God. Oh, wow, lady. <laughs> No drugs, no alcohol. But she did decide, you know, I am in the middle of driving. I thought this would be a good time to pray. Um, I think I can find a sound clip for exactly what happened. But I want to think that it's something along the lines of Jesus take the wheel. (laughs) Jesus apparently did not take the wheel in this situation. And she veered right into a house. I think you'd be in a better spot to be drinking and driving than to close your eyes, let go of the steering wheel, and ask Jesus to steer the car. Probably not going to happen, lady. Probably don't want to pray. What could she possibly be praying about? Please, God, don't let me wreck. God missed that one. Don't pray and drive. At least park and stop and pray. Or do you think this is just an excuse that she made up? She just 
made a mistake and she thought, well, if I say I was praying, I will have the sympathy of the police officers, but probably not the insurance agents. The insurance agencies are definitely going to raise your rates on that one because you're a whack job. <sighs> don't, don't pray and drive. Jesus, take the wheel. All right, Transportation Security Administration announced in May that it had collected $765,000 in loose change left behind in airport scanner trays during 2015, an average haul for the agency of $2,100 a day. Numbers assuming, of course, that TSA personnel turn in all the money they find. Los Angeles and Maya airports contribute $100,000 each, so that's a lot of loose change, a lot of money that our government is making. Do they have to pay taxes on that loose change? I don't know. I don't see it as a big deal, and really that's probably not that much money anyway. Who's still carrying around change in their pockets, though? Do you have change in your pockets? Are you a liquid person that carries around cash? I'm usually just doing the debit card pretty much all the time anymore. I rarely have cash on me, let alone change. When do you use change? When was the last time I used change? I use change probably tipping a pizza guy because I do somehow, somehow though I have collected a bunch of change over the last seven or eight years and I don't do anything with it because it's not like, hey, I got this change that somehow I came across and I threw it into a jar. It never comes back into the jar into my pocket. It's never like, oh, I need to make sure I've got this loose change in my pocket so I can go purge something. So unfortunately, all of my pizza guys pretty much get tipped in quarters. I try to give them quarters. I don't want to go to the dimes and nickels. I don't know if that's a slap in the face. If you're a pizza delivery guy, you can let me know. But I try to treat you right with four solid quarters usually eight soft quarters. I think tipping is two bucks for a pizza. I don't know where you live in your area. I don't even know. I take my hand and ask the people in my town what's the right gratuity. Is it two dollars? Is it one dollar? Is it five dollars? I don't know. I don't know what pizza tipping etiquette is. I could probably Google it, but I don't want to Google it because I think I'm probably going to find out that I'm tipping too low and I'm going to have to pay more. They already charge. Numbers already tax that tax on you. They're already charging you gratuity and delivery fee, so why should I tip on top of that? And a lot of times, I don't think the pizza guys are there as quick as I think they should be. Sometimes the pizzas are cold. Sometimes the pizzas are too hot, even, huh? What about that? What about your pizza being too hot? That's not good. I don't like that. Take your word for it. Scientists at the University of Cambridge, writing in May, in proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences claimed to have figured out how to construct a motor a million times smaller than an ant. It apparently involves lasers, gold particles, and van der Waals forces. An object is to bind the gold particles and then cause them to automatically snap apart, according to author Jeremy Bogworth, 10 to 100 times more force per unit than any other machine. Well, that's cool, but that's not really that weird. Um, yeah, like we've got machines smaller than ants. That's cool, but I want weird. I want crazy. Moving right along, CEO Michael Pearson told a Senate committee in April that he regrets the business model he instituted in 2015 for Valiant Pharmaceuticals, the one that, for example, allowed a drug, Cupramine, that treats liver failure and formerly cost a typical user out of pocket about $3 a pill, $120 per month, $366. 120 pills per month, $366. Overnight cost the user $15 a pill. So eject the price up fivefold. The insurance company and Medicare's cost went overnight from about $5,000 per 100 tablets to $2,600. A Deutsche Bank analysis of the industry tally valiance all drug average price spike at more than five times the average of any competitors. Pearson told the senators he has no idea that such a pricing strategy would turn out to be so controversial. Yeah, give me something that I... Take something that I absolutely have to have or I die, and then jack the price up five times and see if I don't care. See if I'm not upset. 
if you raise the price of beer or tacos or burritos a buck, or if I've got to charge a $3 tip for pizza, people get mad. Now let alone, what if you multiply those things by five times? You're going to have people on the street with pitchforks and torches. Neck and back support. Japanese branch of the intimate apparel maker Genie is currently advertising Japanese and English, a handy guide for brawls that emphasizes the hardship women bear by having a lug around breasts of hardship women bear by having to lug around breasts of certain sizes and ill-fitting garments. The genie chart reveals weight and ounces of a typical A cup chest through F cup to assist any enumerate Japanese shoppers. The chart also shows particle comparisons such as it's just um I mean I don't care. Maybe you know where that's going. I don't care where that's going. It's not it's just um, not not weird. Passing pretty sucks today, huh? We're not really having any good ones here. That's all right. Hold out hope. Hold out hope. We'll do a couple more before we jump into the MLB. The passing parade. Mark Heron, 49, of Sunderland, England, was arrested again in May. His 448th arrest. All right, now we're on to something. On alcohol-related charges. I want to believe that maybe 32 of those were praying while driving. The year started well for Heron with only 14 callers through March, and he cleaned up briefly before a family bereavement sent him spiraling downward again. That's what it always is, you know. You lose somebody in the family, you're praying while you're driving, and you get deep down in a hole of depression and alcohol and booze. His current lawyer admitted that his client has been in court more often than he himself has. Might as well just... Uh, Get him a cot, set him up a spot in the basement. Austrian Hans Heilen vowed in June to assist a needy family in Oberholz by donating to a charity fundraiser sponsored by the local fire department. He has been collecting bottle tops through the years and figures he could sell his treasure now as scrap metal to help make the family help the family. He has at least ten thousand. No, make that ten million caps, weighing several tons. Well, that's great. That's great. Sell the metal bottle caps to help out a family member. And with that $300, they'll be able to pay for three hours in a hospital bed. So that's really working out well for everybody on in the chart below. Or maybe at least if he sells, let's say, you know, he doesn't have to sell all $10 million, But if he sells about $5 million of those caps for scrap metal, maybe he can buy, I don't know, about two days worth of liver treatment pills. Now, if we could get that back down to the normal price, then maybe he only had to sell a million of his bottle caps. In a June verdict, oh wait, I'm sorry, we skipped one. People are like, who cares if you skipped one? We're going a little long here. Let's do a couple more. Wait, how many fell for this? In May, the federal government finally shut down a long-running international scam that had sold psychic assurances. Prosperity, winning lottery numbers. Yes, so you, you call up the number and they give you fake lottery numbers. You say, well, why would you do that? Just go get some Chinese food and you're going to get some bogus lottery numbers or some prosperity. To more than a million Americans. In these personalized form letters, two French physicists, psychics, yeah, not physicists, definitely not physicists, these would be psychics, had guaranteed success and riches to clients if they would only buy their $50 books. A massive upselling usually followed. 
The Justice Department estimated that during the spree, the sellers earned upward of $180 million on at least 56 million pieces of postal mail. So this is awesome. Great. Let's shut down these French psychics who are promising prosperity and good luck and lottery numbers. Meanwhile, if you turn on your television set right now, a Creflon Dollar is standing in front of it on one of your public access channels or antenna stations saying, send us $50 right now and God will bless you. There are televangelicists, I can't say it, evangelical, televangelist. It's televangelist, you moron. That's how you say it. So there's televangelists right now in America, not overseas, that are allowed to sell prosperity and do so without paying taxes. And our government is busy shutting down French psychics. Now, it is their own fault because the French psychics probably should have seen it coming. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> now you aren't a psychic, so you probably didn't see that joke coming. But if you did see that joke coming, then you probably should be selling lottery numbers and prosperity. And if you set up a shop in America and you do it under the guise of the almighty Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, then you will legally be allowed to do it. So that's what I should be doing right here. Why don't you give me your donations and I'll sell you daily fantasy prosperity here in the church of DFS. I think we're on to something. I really do. I think we can start taking donations and I will promise you the blessing of our Lord and Savior and prosperity for everyone. We got to get this thing rolling. I like this idea. That's where we're going to stop today. That is absolutely where we're going to stop today. Let's jump into some DFS baseball action. Alright, it is the inaugural edition of DFS Church. Please, everyone, take your seats. Before we get down to business, let's make sure we get those uh, payment plates passed around. I don't know if they're called payment plates, but in our church, we're going to refer to them as payment plates. They are a digital form here, so if you can just uh, PayPal that money over to me, tax-free, of course, for you and for me, and then I will, well, not necessarily me, but I'm going to send it up the chain of command to the, the man himself, JC, and he's going to grant you prosperity. He's going to give you goodwill, and he's going to give you the DFS picks that you need. Now, not necessarily through me. I am sort of his surrogate. I am his living body, his channel to speak to you. But, but, not always are the picks that travel through my body going to be the direct chain of him, our Lord and Savior. You may need to pray, and at that time, after you've sent in the money and the check is cleared, and then you pray, and then and only then you pray, then you will receive the blessings of Jesus Christ and his picks. Daily fantasy, baseball, basketball, football, you name it. He is an expert of all sports. Really unbelievable. You know, we got a lot of these hacks out there that think they know all sports. And I'm not one of them. I'll tell you what, I don't know hockey. Know everything else, but I don't know hockey. But he knows it all. Or she knows it all. Depends on which, uh, I mean, I'm not going to tell you what to believe there. That one's up to you. Also, you get double prosperity if you pray while driving. Triple prosperity if you pray while driving with your eyes closed. I didn't tell you to do that in case you wrecked. I didn't tell you to do that. That was God talking through me. I'm just a surrogate. Let's get to the Daily Fantasy Baseball plays of the day. 
going in cold because that's what we always do here. This is our early morning research for DFSNotes.com, the daily fantasy fringe podcast. Go a little bit off the beaten path, but we also do our early morning ritual. We're going to look at the stats, the numbers, the plays, the matchups, and get a general idea. And then when we come back, which I won't be there with you, but hopefully JC will be there, around 6 or 7 o'clock, you will make the final decisions on which way you want to go. Now, another thing that I love to do here is just to tackle the late-night games. The whole action, the whole slate, you got to swim with a lot of sharks. I prefer to just go with the late-night games. Can't often do this. We don't always get a West Coast plate here, but we've got a full plate on the West Coast going to enjoy it and that's what we're going to focus on tonight late night friday night daily fantasy baseball action as always you can go to dfsnotes.com to look at the spreadsheet that i've got in front of me a just a quick easy way to find the matchups and find out who i want to target so if we look at the matchups we've got four games to choose from limited limited slate a lot of the sharks aren't going to play and if they do play then we are on an even playing field with them our favorites, our heaviest favorite pitcher tonight would be Kenta Maeda. Kenta Maeda. Pitching at home in a pitcher's ballpark versus the Diamondbacks. Yes, the Diamondbacks are a solid hitting team, but they have not hit well really over the last month. I know for a fact over the last week, just the 21st best offense, 22nd best offense over the last two weeks. And I'm pretty sure if you dig down even deeper, you're going to see that they've been cold pretty much for the entire month of July. They strike out the fifth most in baseball. That's definitely a boost to Mr. Maida there. And also, let's look at uh, the Diamondbacks' numbers are probably inflated a little bit by hitting on home, but they're not really. Their splits home and away are exactly the same, which is surprising considering they hit in a hitter's ballpark. So Meta is the biggest favorite on the day at minus 202. He also gets a boost because remember when we say these money lines, it's not always a full-fledged endorsement of the pitcher. It's an endorsement also of the hitters facing the opposing pitcher. And we've got one of our all-time favorites here, Zach Ungodly, or Zach Godley, with a 437 FIP. Not terribly awful. Doesn't really strike anybody out, but he's got an average against of 296, a whip of 162, and the Dodgers are, you know, on the year, they're not better than the um, Arizona Diamondbacks, but they have played up a little bit, just up a little tick over the last month or so, so, and they're going to play at home, I think they've hit fairly decent at home, even though it is a pitcher's ballpark, the Dodgers just like any other team, usually are decent. And now actually they hit better on the road. How about that? So your play, uh, I like Kinemata, very safe so far. We'll go through the other four games as well. We're going to see some real duds, maybe someone in contention. In our first game, we got Rick Purcello traveling with the Red Sox out to Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, California, Orange County, Beverly Hills 90210. And... Purcell's been pretty solid this year. He's facing the Angels, and the Angels have got Tim Lincecum, who really, uh, yeah, well, he had two decent games, I think. The rest have been pretty rough. Even when he does pitch well and gets through a game, he may limit some earned runs, but he's given up a lot, a lot of hits. His whip is 2-3, and he's got enough of a sample size in games now. I think six or seven games pitch. A 230 whip is pretty rough. Average against 380. Eight, it is almost 400, and today he has to face the best offense in baseball, the Boston Red Sox. Going to be hard to not stack Boston Red Sox against Tim Lincecum. There is no reason for you to roster Tim Lincecum in this game. 
None whatsoever, even on a small slate. You can definitely consider Rick Porcello, even though the Angels have been hitting pretty well and they don't strike out the least strikeouts in baseball. But Porcello, and we'll pull up his stats because I believe he's been pitching. Uh, he's been a pretty solid pitcher. I think Maida is going to give you a little bit more upside than Porcello, especially with the strikeouts that Maida is possibly going to ring up. I think uh, Maida had a double-digit strikeout game a couple games ago. The big favorite there in a pitcher's ballpark. We're all pitcher's ballparks today. They're all pitcher's ballparks today. And it's pretty hot across the country, so they may not be as severe. But still, most of these are pitcher's ballparks. We can pretty much consider all ballparks as neutral, which you normally can do because that's just how the West Coast rolls. The only time that this ever changes is when we get the Diamondbacks at, or the Rockies possibly. Usually the Rockies are not part of the late-night slate. They usually get it rolling around 8 o'clock, not 9 o'clock, but well, occasionally. But uh, the Diamondbacks are normally the only change that we ever get there. Always pitchers ballparks in our nighttime slate. So anyway, Porcello, 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 Cello. All right, Porcello versus the Angels. What has Porcello done lately? And we've got plenty of time to go through these guys because we're just doing four games. And we'll go through all the hitters and all of that jazz as well. Porcello in the month of July, 275 average against 119 whip. Not that great. But, you know, that's okay. It's acceptable. It's basically what he's been the entire season. His 250 average against 115 whip is generally what he's done throughout the whole month. Now, if it was a full slate, I probably don't take Porcello. But with Porcello tonight, I've got a pretty solid chance at the win because he's going to get a lot of run support. The Angels aren't a devastating matchup. They could put two, three runs. They do have a couple guys that could ruin the day with home runs, like Mike Trout. Albert Pujols has been pretty solid lately. Cole Calhoun could get a hold of one. But other than that, I'm not really that fearful of the lineup. I mean, you know, Escobar's okay as well, but I, I feel pretty confident that Porcello's going to give us a quality start. His last outing against Minnesota, six and two-thirds, Four earned runs, eight strikeouts. Yeah, he gave up four earned runs, but the eight strikeouts definitely help out there. Game before that, no earned runs in a six and a third. No strikeouts, though. Uh, pitched well against Tampa before that. Another quality start before that. So he's got three quality starts in the month of July in his four starts. And his, the one outside of that, he would have been fine uh, because he won and he had eight strikeouts. He has not lost a game in his last five appearances. He's won six of his last seven. He's a, just a quality guy. He's got a ton of quality starts. I think you're probably going to get that today. Two or three runs. Not going to get the strikeouts, though. But you could probably, probably, probably get that win. And it really comes down to the price of Porcello versus Meta, wherever you're at in these night slates. If you can save significantly with one or the other, then I would probably go that route. If they're close or Meta is not that much more expensive, then I think I'm leaning towards Kenton Meta because... He's going to get the strikeouts. He should get enough run support at home against the Diamondbacks to win. Let's look at uh, Kenta's stats lately. I don't believe he usually goes more than five or six innings. Uh, I think Porcello possibly could go deeper into the game than we might see uh, Kenta Maida. Another thing you got with Porcello is Porcello is going to be what, – what am I thinking to myself – now, the team does travel to the West Coast, but it's, you know, Priscilla normally pitching in a hitter's ballpark, so a little bit of a bump in the stats there as well. 
Meta, 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 Meta. Meta in his last, uh, the one that I remember definitely should have played him on July 10th against San Diego. Struck them out 10, 13 times, seven innings, one earned run. Really masterful performance right there before All-Star break. That was right when San Diego had, again, forgotten how to hit. Coming out of the All-Star break, he struggled against Arizona, the team that he's playing today. Four and a third at Arizona, though, mind you. Five earned runs. Not quite the game that we want to look for. I want to look a little bit closer at the game since we have time. Normally, I don't look specifically at game action because you, you just don't have time during the podcast. I would later on in the day, but when you're doing a free-form, free-flowing podcast where you're just analyzing quick information, I don't dive into people. And so we'll look at that Arizona game in just a second. The game after Arizona, he had to face a tough-hitting St. Louis team. He allowed two runs, five hits, and five and two-thirds, only three strikeouts. Pretty solid performance against a really good hitting team. So if we look at Maida, oh boy. So he gave up three runs in the first inning. And if you're on, now before I read the stat, a lot of times we fill in the gaps on our own. And I filled in the gap on my own. If I'm leaning towards Kenton Maida right now, and I see that three spot in the first inning against the Arizona Diamondbacks at Arizona, I'm thinking to myself, I hope he just gave up a three-run home run, made one mistake, and then pitched well throughout the rest of the game. That gets me on the Kenton Maida bandwagon. If maybe it wasn't a big three-run shot, if he went nine batters deep and they just tagged him and tagged him and tagged him, then maybe I don't like him as much. If it's one mistake, that's better than making a lot of mistakes against these hitters. So let's see exactly how the scoring went. And in the first inning, Jake Lamb singled in a run, and then Brandon Drury doubled in two runners. Eventually he got out. Then Jake Lamb homered again. Jake Lamb seemed to hit Kenta Maida pretty well in that game. Don't necessarily want to go down the BVP rabbit hole. But it looks like he just, and then in the fifth inning, double ended up scoring a, another run. Mato wasn't awful, but uh, that slugging, you know, doubles, home runs, getting hit pretty hard contact-wise in that game. That could possibly push you to Rick Porcello at the moment. We still got other pitches that we'll look at. So we don't want anything to do with Zach Godley. We don't want anything to do with Tim Linscombe. Those are definitely places where we can put hitters up against them. Pitcher-wise, I think normally on a small slate, if you've got two guys that you're even considering that you're happy with, that's pretty good. Meta and Porcello will definitely come down to price. Vegas obviously likes Meta and the Dodgers more than they do with Porcello traveling out to the West Coast. You can dig deeper to find out where you're going to go with that. But right now, I still lean towards Meta, even though that last performance against the Dimebacks not very good. Still, he can strike out guys and... You know, that home run, that double, maybe those don't quite become those hits in Los Angeles. You just don't know. But wait a second. We've got Max Scherzer pitching tonight. Max Scherzer and the Nationals are traveling out to San Francisco in a wonderful pitcher's park. And if you know anything about Max Scherzer, well, I'm sure you know several things about Max Scherzer, but he is the strikeout man. He's not Jose Fernandez, but he is up there in terms of a K-rate. Pretty impressive strikeout numbers, and the main weakness of Max has been his uh, propensity to proliferate home runs. He gives up way, way, way too many home runs. He's a dominant pitcher, but he cannot keep that ball from going over the fence. Today, though, today he pitches in the premier anti-home run ballpark of AT&T Field at San Francisco. No park allows less home runs. 
I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I definitely can look at the ballpark factors, which is on the DFS notes sheet. So if I pull up the ballpark factors here on the DFS notes baseball spreadsheet, I will let you know that across the board, well, the Marlins is pretty rough, but really the Giants. On a scale of 1 to 100, and if you're over 100, then you are above average home run hitting park. The Giants, 81 to lefties and an 86 to righties. That 81 is the lowest to any side of the plate. The 86 to right-handed bats is the lowest to any side of the plate. So this is a premier keep the ball in the ballpark place, which definitely favors Scherzer and mitigates his Achilles heel, which is the long ball. He can still give up doubles in those sorts of mess of hits. Facing a Giants team, which he struggled with over his career. But... The Giants have been really pedestrian over the last, I would even go as far as to say, last two months. I mean, right now, right in front of me on the sheet, 17th best offense over the last week, 17th best offense over the last two weeks. They don't strike out very much, and I believe that that cold average nature has gone even back further than that throughout June as well. Now, if you pressed me to name some Giants guys that have been hitting really well, I can't tell you who they are. They are clutch hitters. They are guys who get jobs done in a pinch. But the Giants don't scare me as, or don't strike me as players that are really piling up the stats and the numbers. We can jump to that right now, but I'm not going to get into it. I don't like Giants hitters. A night as Vegas favoring the road team against San Francisco and Jeff Samarja. You've got Max Scherzer with a 3.43 FIP. That's the best of any pitcher pitching today. In terms of the night slate that we're looking at, 11.5 Ks per nine, that would be number one as well. His .94 whip, that also would be the best numbers of any of the men pitching in the late night slate. So across the board, and that shouldn't be any surprise really, Max Scherzer's numbers are better than everybody's. I'm going to look at his splits real quickly, see if he pitches better on the road. And it's not really, it's about the same. Washington is a pretty favorable park for the pitchers, so... Nothing exaggerated there. You could see how well he pitches in San Francisco, but I don't know if we're really going to be able to find the numbers because if you look at how well does he pitch specifically in their ballpark, it's not going to help you because he has not pitched really well against the San Francisco Giants. Their hitters have, in the past, seemed to have gotten the best of him every time out. So you can't really decipher the ballpark factors in that situation. Let's look at this game log in the month of July. Strikeout numbers are there as always. Crazy strikeout numbers. It's brutal. I mean, he had 58 strikeouts in 41 and one-third inning pitched in June, and that was actually less than what he had in May. Of course, in May, when you have a 20-strikeout game, that tends to inflate your strikeout numbers. But in June, he had five out of six of his strikeout games were double digits. So far in July, he's putting those numbers right back up there. Seven strikeouts against Milwaukee. That's actually surprising. Probably should get more against the Milwaukee Brewers. Nine against the Mets, seven against Pittsburgh, and then 10 against San Diego last week. So, the, what's the lowest strikeout total you've gotten? He only struck out three Miami Marlins in probably his worst game. That's way back in April. I can't imagine, even with the Giants, who don't tend to strike out that much, I can't imagine that Scherzer strikes out any less than six batters in this game. I can't, you know, his home run thing has been what's killed him all year. 22 home runs. That's tough. But he's going to be in a very favorable ballpark where Andy's facing a team that's not necessarily hitting a lot of home runs. I think he will be all right. 
I like Scherzer a lot, but you know what the obvious problem with starting Scherzer is? He's going to be really freaking expensive. You're not going to get a cheap deal on Scherzer whatsoever. But those strikeout totals, um, that's an easy number to lean on. I guess in the end it comes down to do you have a lot of hitters that you really want? Do you have a lot of... I mean, we've got three pitchers. If one of them is ridiculously priced way too low, which sometimes we see at Rosters.com, not pushing you over to that site, but if you want to join Rosters.com, hit up Crazy Gaby on Twitter, and he'll give you a referral code that gives you actually gives you 20 freaking dollars. Not drip, boom, right in your pocket. Have a good day, sir. So you can go over and do that and start playing baseball and work your way into the football season. You can play against me and the rest of them. I've been losing a lot. You can check out my name, Race for the Prize. Bit of a cold streak. Why would we want to listen to this guy if he's on a cold streak? He doesn't know what he's doing. It's a cold streak. It happens, all right? It happens. So where was I? Oh, let's just go to the last game. You've got the Reds versus the Padres. Now, this is where you step off the beaten path. We've got three pitchers that we like, three pitchers that uh, two pitchers that we don't like. I don't necessarily think Jeff Samarge is a bad pitcher or a guy that I absolutely need to target. Which you'd say, well, that hurts Scherzer because that's going to possibly limit his ability to get a win. Absolutely. There is no Scherzer thing today. In a cash game, you probably can lean on Scherzer. In the GPP, which late night, I think a late night rosters.com is probably only going to be cash. They might have a GPP, I doubt it. But on DraftKings, FanDuel, you do have GPPs late night. And Scherzer probably will be okay in the GPP as well because he has such upside the only problem is he limits yeah he'll definitely limit how much money you have to spend on some of these other games but possibly I mean you look at uh, the Dodgers against the Diamondbacks you can get some cheapies for the Dodgers facing uh, Zach Godley get a couple hits keep your team afloat Red Sox though on the other hand that's going to be the tricky part. Really like to target Tim Lincecum, and you're not going to get any cheap Dodger or any cheap Red Sox. If you want Red Sox in the late slate, going to be tough to pair with Max Scherzer. Going to be really, really tricky. Um, if you want Red Sox hitters really badly, and I think you should, because Tim Lincecum's got a horrible average against, horrible whip. We can go even deeper into his numbers. You're going to probably tend to either go. With the Red Sox pitcher, Porcello, which I don't think he'll be cheap, or Kenta Maeda, which I don't think he'll be cheap either. It depends on what site you're going with, how the pricing works out, how the scoring works out. Rosters.com, pitching sometimes can be way too expensive and not return on value. So if Scherzer is 30000 or higher, or even 25000 I don't think I'm going to even mess with him, and I'll step down to the next best thing. Where are we? We are at the Reds and the Padres, the off-the-beaten play. Brandon Finnegan... Nah. Edwin Jackson. Meh. But being that they're both meh plays and they're not awful, there's going to be something. There's going to be a winner probably here. We've got uh, a good bullpen. It's just to go even deeper in the Padres. And a bad bullpen by the Reds. But that's also inflated by them pitching in a hitter's ballpark. Now they're going to be out in Petco Field, which is a very comfortable place for the Reds, and the Reds have been red hot. Unbelievable. I thought maybe that their hotness, and we talked about this on the other day, was due in part to playing a nine games at home, and then also facing three series against inferior opponents. They just traveled to San Francisco, played against some pretty decent pitching, and won some games, scored some runs in a pitcher's ballpark. Now you can also say, well, the Giants are kind of cold. 
See, I'll, I'll give you that. Maybe the Reds pitchers got a little bit of a boost there facing some average to below average giant hitters. But it still doesn't tell us or explain why the Reds hitters are still hitting. The Reds hitters are still hitting because they're really in the zone at the moment. And the Reds hot hitters are going to go out to, you know, not the canyon that it once was. But still, Petco is a pitcher-friendly ballpark. And they face Edwin Jackson. So we need to get the wrap on Edwin Jackson and Brandon Finnegan. Brandon Finnegan, by the way, is going to be the only lefty we will see in the United States. So if you want to try to target lefties, which we'll talk about here in a second, Brandon Finnegan may be your man. He could have some split stats that shock, terrify, and amaze. Edwin Jackson, the old, old man. Man, it's been a while. I remember when Edwin Jackson was a star rookie on MVP Baseball 05 for the Xbox, not Xbox 360, for the Xbox. MVP Baseball, amazing game. Sad to see that EA lost the licensing on that, but uh, Edwin Jackson was one of those minor league guys that if you were doing a dynasty mode, you wanted to try to go grab him because he had great potential, really cheap, get him on, locked up to a set. Anyway, the old man still pitching 11 years later. He is in San Diego. His last two outings... July 17th, July 23rd. Before that, he was doing mainly bullpen work throughout the month of April, throughout the month of May. I believe he got sent down, called up, it's kind of been around. Now that he's up again in his two starts, he faced the Giants, six and a third, two and runs. Really great performance. Traveled to Washington, six innings, two earned runs. Another great performance. No strikeouts, quality starts, got the win in one, not in the other. Pretty safe. I don't want him. I'm not going to start him. Do I feel like I have to target him against the Reds? Well, we'll see in a second when we look at splits. Now, before we do that, let's look at Finnegan lately. Finnegan's numbers, we, I mean, basically the numbers are fair, which we just told you. But let's look at splits. Real quick with Finnegan, what I want to see is those home away splits. And he's actually worse on the road. Go figure. Uh, you would figure that the guy would pitch better outside of Great American Ballpark. But that's just simply not the case. He's, he's allowed less home runs. But look at this. How is this possible? So I'm looking at Brandon Finnegan's splits here, and it's crazy. His ERA basically the same. A lot less hits. At home, he gives up 60 hits, only 44 on the road. But his earned runs exactly the same. Home runs are less. But get this. Try to figure this one out. 16 walks at home, which is smart. You do not want to walk batters at Great American Ballpark because, you know, you turn – one mistake from a solo shot to a three-run home run by putting people on the base path. You have to be really strict. But you really should be strict anywhere you go. It shouldn't be a thing where I walk people at home and I don't walk people on the road, or I walk people on the road but I don't walk them at home. You should have pretty much the same approach. I know you want to change your approach a little bit, but if you know how to bear down and limit walks at Great American Ballpark, then that should be the similar case on the road. You shouldn't... Uh, you know, relax a little. But obviously, Mr. Finnegan is relaxing. At home, 16 walks. On the road, 40 walks. How is that possible? Well, he pulled it off. He has. And he can't have that kind of walk numbers. At least, though, he lowers the hits. But, you know, he can... Sometimes a hit's not as bad because if you give a hit on pitch one, two, or three of an at-bat, you're going to save your arm a little bit. When you walk a batter, that goes seven, eight pitches deep sometimes. And yes, hits can lead to more runs, but walks 
from our fantasy perspective, are really going to prevent a pitcher from going deep into a game. And if you're going to walk 40 batters on the road, it seems like you're never going that far into a game on the road. Finnegan, 600 runs on his last start against Arizona. Uh, good against Atlanta. Who cares? It's Atlanta against the Cubs, five earned runs. Against Washington, he got yanked in the third inning after eight runs. Pitched good against San Diego, which is the team he's facing, six and two-thirds. Three runs, one home run. That was at San Diego. Oh, that was at home. But then again, it's San Diego. Well, we should consider San Diego because he's playing San Diego. Yeah, you should, and you could. He's had some good quality starts. He started out the season actually halfway decent, but uh, I I think you can take a couple San Diego hitters, definitely if we look at splits, which we'll do in a second, and I don't want him. Yeah, that's just way too cute for me, unless somehow the salaries are ridiculously priced. If Jackson or Finnegan are incredibly low, and I really fall in love with my hitters, mainly a lot of the Boston Red Sox, then I can possibly do it. That would be my GBP play. Cash? No, I don't think so. I don't cause I don't need to stack Red Sox. I'll take people where I can get them. I don't like stacking in cash games anyway because that could blow up in your face, even though I don't think it will blow up in my face with Tin Lincecum on the mound. Old Lincecum. Welcome back, buddy. All right, let's look at splits and see who in this Major League Baseball late-night slate has the worst. And if we're talking about facing left-handed batters, our number one guy, and this will be interesting, it is Edwin Jackson, old Eddie Jackson with a, now this is a small slate, and a lot of this rules or uses his bullpen work, which wasn't that great. This, so you can say, well, maybe I don't want to trust as much because he's been a lot better in his two starts. And this takes in his numbers as a whole, but... Numbers of the whole say Edwin Jackson is struggling with a 567 FIP to lefties, 169 whip, 30.6 hard contact. Not the highest to lefties, but that's still pretty brutal. You could think about some Reds lefties. And the Reds have left-handed power with Jay Bruce, Joey Votto. Uh, the number of the two that jumped into my head. I think Tucker Barnard is he lefty as well. Not quite sure off the top of my head. Jeff Samarja facing the Nationals. 506 fit, 151 whip, 28.1% hard contact, not awful. But the Nationals, um, Daniel Murphy, check. Bryce Harper, check. Possible plays there, even though, and some people say, wait, it's a hitter's ball or pitcher's ballpark. They're all pitcher's ballparks today, guys. There's nothing we can do. Now, one thing we could do, you know, let's look at the sheet and try to find out. Do any of these parks at least give a little bit of an edge to lefties? Giants, absolutely no. Left-handed hitters, if you know the Giants ballpark, got that giant brick wall out there in right field that you know, Barry Bonds never had a problem hitting it over that, but everybody else seems to have great uh, problems trying to put the ball out in right field and especially plays mind games with opposing road hitters coming into AT&T, especially those lefties. We just mentioned... The Nationals. Oh, wait. Yeah, I don't know where I was right there. Just lost myself. The Nationals are going to be playing in San Francisco. So, Daniel Murphy, Bryce Harper. Yeah, it's a good matchup, but that is a tough ballpark to hit home runs out. What about the Padres for those Reds traveling out there? Padres, actually. Believe it or not, it is a 103. So, it's actually above average in terms of home runs to right field. Did you know that? 
tougher ballpark on right-handed hitters, unless you're Bartolo Colon, then it's no problem whatsoever. But if you're a lefty hitting in San Diego, it's actually 103 to left-handed bats. Sneaky stat there, Edwin Jackson. I know, though, a lot of those numbers are based on probably bullpen work. But then again, we're talking about Edwin Jackson here. This guy's never really been that good, unless you were playing MVP Baseball 2005. And you slowly brought him up through your minor league system. And he was your back into your rotation just because he was cheap. Plus, you had a really good defense around him and a pitcher's ballpark. <laughs> anyway, so no one cares about that. Back to our splits. Back to our splits. Versus lefties. Versus lefties. Who else can we target? Brandon Finnegan, actually, not very good against lefties. But then again, Brandon Finnegan's not that good against either side of the plate. He's much worse against righties, which we'll talk about in a second. Kenta Maida. 431 FIP, 127 whip, and those aren't awful. 35% hard contact, which is a little worrisome. Maybe you take left-handed Dodgers bats, which would be, guess who, Jake Lamb, if you're not going the Kenta Mater out. And you could even actually, because it is a small slate, you could take Jake Lamb against Kenta Mater and start Kenta Mater. Mater gets the strikeouts, gives up three earned runs. Hopefully those three earned runs are to Jake Lamb. Jake Lamb seemed to have hit him pretty well in the last outing, although this will be Dodger Stadium. Let's see. What does Dodger Stadium look like to righty and lefty bats? The L.A. Dodger, Dodgers, uh, is another one, guys. 104. The Dodgers Stadium is 104 to lefty bats, so not hard on the left-handed hitters to put the ball out of the ballpark at uh, Dodger Stadium. Jake Lamb... Looking at you, buddy. All right, going back to the splits. Having some fun here today. Really working through. Uh, not really crazy. I mean, Max Church's splits against lefties, nothing to write home about. Zach Godley, 404 FIP. He's got a 150 whip, which means he's probably walking too many hitters. Hard contact is just 13%. I do not like the lefty bats. That's surprising. Zach Godley has been pretty solid against lefty bats, limiting the contact. Probably because at that 150 whip, what it's showing me is he's probably just pitching around a lot of them, maybe walking them, may not giving them good pitches. Either way, he's pitching well against lefties. I don't want lefties against Zach Godley. Make sure you remember that one. Write that down. Tim Lincecum attacking from both sides of the plate. Um, he's been atrocious, though, against righties. Lefties, maybe it's because he hasn't faced that many in his small sample size, but still, 162 whip, 40% hard contact. But if you look at righties, it's even worse, which we'll talk about in a second. Rick Porcello, no, you don't, he's not a guy you're going to target from the left side of the plate. All right, wrapping up. Let's go to the right-handed side. And right-handed Red Sox bats, absolutely. Look at these numbers on Tim Lincecum. 11-43 FIP, 324 whip, 40% hard contact. Yes, please. You can take the lefties from the Red Sox. Nothing new there. We'd said that before. You're going to take the righties. You're going to take righties and lefties for the Red Sox against Tim Lincecum. Let's look at the ballpark just since we have time. And we are just rolling along. Angels. How does the Angels ballpark work out? Not good against lefties or righties. Not a preferred home run ballpark, but you have a really good offense. Could you possibly use that to stay away from the Red Sox? I don't think so. I think you're going to have to have Red Sox on the small slate in GPPs and in cash. How many of them? That's up to you. That depends on who you go with pitchers. If you're going to go Scherzer, then obviously you're going to have less Red Sox. If you go with Meta or possibly Porcello, you're going to have maybe one or two more Red Sox. If you go with Finnegan and Jackson because you're nasty, then maybe you can really stack up on Red Sox. Don't think you have to do that. We've already noticed some matchup trends like the Reds, uh, Jake Lamb. You could take Daniel Murphy or uh, 
Bryce Harper and hope for a possible double extra base hit. Depends on the price, really. Back to the splits against righties. We know Tim Lincecum struggles. Brandon Finnegan is going to struggle against his right-handed bats. Now, the Padres stay him tough on right-handed bats, as we just mentioned, to hit home runs. But it doesn't always have to be all home runs. Padres, so versus right-handed bats, Finnegan has a 628 FIP, 142 whip, and 40% hard contact. And as we noted before, gives up less hits on the road, but he gives up just as many runs, and he walks a lot of batters on the road. Maybe you look at a right-handed bat with a solid on-base percentage. Just an idea. Maybe you can get somebody cheap there for the Padres. It's quite possible. Edwin Jackson, not atrocious, but he does have a 557 FIP to right-handed bats. 32% hard contact. Mm. Then there are a couple. Adam Duvall, Eugenio Suarez, maybe is cheap. Brandon Phillips, maybe one of those guys that just falls into your lineup because he's cheap enough. He may be even cheaper at San Diego. Decent matchup against Edwin Jackson. You hope that he gets on or he, you know, he has RBI opportunities. He more than likely is going to have some RBI opportunities with the left-handed bats facing Edwin Jackson, getting on base like Joey Votto, Jay Bruce, um, Billy Hamilton. There's another guy right there, a possible uh, stolen bases. I don't know what Edwin Jackson is against keeping runners on. That's digging too deep, but uh, there could be some sneaky plays there with the Reds. Purcello, he's just fine. There's numbers really don't show us any weakness, so I have no business taking Angels. If you do take Angels, that would absolutely be very contrarian if you're really trying to separate yourself, which might be absolutely necessary in a four-game slate to really get off the beaten path. Maybe take an Angel or two. I think you're being way too crazy taking a lot of Angels. They're just not going to win this game, and I don't see them scoring a lot of runs. Maybe they get something off the bullpen. Maybe they put one or two against Porcellus. So you got to pick and choose the guy. I don't completely rule out Angels as contrarian. Samarja, pretty decent against righties. does give up a little bit of hard contact to them, but nothing really to worry about. Samarja probably should be thrown back into the possibility of pitching I wouldn't completely rule him out against the Nationals. Absolutely leave him in play. It's going to be tough for him to get the win. If we're going for the win, I, I think this game probably favors Max Scherzer in terms of getting a win. But Samarji could eat up some innings, get a couple strikeouts against the Nationals. Not the worst play in the world. If you're, It just depends on the salary and the pricing. I'd rather just spend a little bit more probably for Kenta Maida or less. It just depends on what the pricing is. So that pretty much does it. To wrap up real quick, pitching-wise, I think Scherzer is your best play all around. Maybe in GPP you can go off of him and go with Kent Meta or possibly consider Rick Porcello. It depends on which way you want to go with that. It depends on the pricing. I think both of them are pretty decent spots. If you made me choose between Meta and Porcello, I'm going with Meta because of the strikeout potential, even though he did give up. If he can just handle Jake Lamb, you're going to be fun. Offensively, Jake Lamb in a ballpark that favors home run potential to left-handed bats. And he hit uh, Kentamata really well in his last outing, and Kentamata seems to struggle against lefty bats, giving up a lot of hard contact. And then you've got the Reds left-handed bats in a ballpark where left-handed bats are actually above average in terms of home runs at Petco. So we're trying to find what little – it's not a bad idea. If you've got pitchers' ballparks, a lot of people are just going to assume, well, they're all pitchers' ballparks. But if you look closer – there's a little bit of an edge to going to a specific side of the plate in these pitchers' ballparks. And left-handed bats for the Reds will work out for you against Edwin Jackson. Jackson's been good in his two starts, 
But I gotta think that they're probably gonna have plenty of tape on this guy by now. And the Reds have been red hot. I wouldn't rule out the Reds right-handed bats either if they can get a lot of people on base. What is the over-under on that game, by the way? What is the over-under? The over-under is eight and a half. Our best, our highest is nine and a half with the Red Sox and Angels. Danny Murphy, Bryce Harper, lefty bats versus Justin Marja. But you have to remember that lefty bats are not going to really probably get you a home run. Right field is where home runs go to die. We could probably look up and see the splits of Murphy and Harper at San Francisco. I find it hard to believe that they've hit very many home runs. And another thing you got to always worry about is East Coast teams traveling out to the West Coast. Sometimes they have struggles out there. Nationals, in particular, have struggles. Struggled early this season. Dusty Baker went on kind of a rant about that earlier this year. The Reds, though, seem to be fine when they went to San Francisco. Now they're on the second part of their road trip, going to San Diego. Red Sox. I think either side are incredibly powerful. It's not a home runs hitters ballpark, but there will be a little bit of a boost to the ballpark considering the weather in the summer months. Angel Stadium isn't as awful. But uh, the right-handed bats definitely are preferred against Lincecum. But the lefty bats are fine, too. Lincecum numbers are awful, but they're atrocious against right-handed bats. And then Padre right-handed bats against Brandon Finnegan. Finnegan, we talked about his numbers. Why do I even need to go into it anymore? Although right-handed bats, tougher to hit home runs in San Diego. Uh, that does it for today. No Baker segment. I did have the Baker segment, but I'm not going to play it because I think it's a little too much, offensive, inappropriate, not going to happen. What did they say? What did they say? It was nothing. It was just a conversation that doesn't need to have happen and doesn't serve any purpose, so it's going to get cut. We'll be back with Baker, maybe some conversations with my dad probably next week. Don's going to be back on. Maybe we'll talk some Daily Fantasy Baseball. Maybe we'll actually build some lineups, play some contests. That would be fun, wouldn't it? Get him into actually doing these contests. Have some real rock and roll party time there. All right, thanks for joining me, guys. Make sure you're checking out DFSNotes.com. Tons of NASCAR stuff at our website. Now, this is baseball a lot on the podcast, but you need something to talk about every single day, and there's not enough NASCAR to talk about every single day. But uh, one of our big things and the big visitors that come to our website come for the NASCAR. Not necessarily the baseball, but I think the baseball content is pretty solid, safe, free, easy. The golf stuff, you got to talk to Tobin. I don't know what Tobin's doing with the golf stuff. I like what uh, Baker does with his home run picks, so... Check it all out, dfsnotes.com, Daily Fantasy French Podcast. Don't know where we're going into the future with this. Hopefully, I guess we're going to transition to football. That's going to happen. DK is going to have me start doing football videos for them. So if I'm going to be doing football research, then we will talk about football here on the podcast. Baseball will probably be phased uh, out, possibly, or less baseball. NASCAR might get phased in. I don't know. It just depends. Not enough people listen to this show to give input on it, obviously. So, final words, don't pray and drive, please. I was joking about that earlier. Don't don't pray and drive. Pray wherever you want. If you're going to pray, pray before you start your car. Pray when you stop your car. Don't pray while you drive your car. But by all means, please pray. Pray to the church of DFS. Pray that you will be given prosperity. I'm going to pray myself the way the last couple nights have gone. But a lot of that's been brought on by my own uh, bizarre picks and willingness to go outside the box. Probably need to go back into the box and confess my sins. See you guys next time. Adios.